Good morning. It's good to see most of you. There's a just joking. Just joking. Uh, good to see you guys. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. I usually do a bulk of the preaching and will do such this morning. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and meet me in Psalm chapter 42. That's what we'll be at this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high. And one of the ushers will walk down the aisle and give you a copy of God's word. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, please keep the one that we're handing out. It is our gift to you so you can grow in an understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Sure, you've heard that before. So keep the Bible if you don't if you don't have a Bible. I got a few announcements for us. Um, so we do this thing called M25, and M25 is short from Matthew chapter 25, of which Jesus says, "As you did for the least of these, you did for me." And so we partner with an organization here that helps feed uh, homeless in our community. And so we ask them whatever their needs are to let us know. Now we used to collect it on the first Sunday of the month. But we do those event cards that we give out the first Sunday, and we can put on what you're supposed to bring, but that made no sense if we gave it to you on the first Sunday. So we finally figured that out after three years. And so uh, we're going to do the third Sunday of every month, and then you can bring in the items. So next Sunday is the third Sunday, and we want you guys to bring canned beans. In fact, more than just canned beans, any canned protein. So tuna, canned chicken, tuna, Snickers. I mean, <laughs> help a brother out, right? And so... Uh, uh, bring something um, in canned protein form, and then uh, there will be bins out there in front of the, the doors when you guys come to service next Sunday to collect that. Also, um, we are partnering together with Redemption Alhambra this Wednesday for a prayer night over some of the things we, that have, for all the things that have happened in our country, in this world, and so we're going to get together. Now, the guy over there to the right, that's Aaron Daly. He's the lead pastor at Redemption Alhambra, and uh, I promise you there's not going to be like a, a boxing match between... <laughs> Me and Aaron, I try. He doesn't want those problems. So there's a, <laughs> I don't know why they want to do that. But anyway, so that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get together. Now, what that means is we're going to start at 7.30, um, and we'll be here for about an hour and a half of singing songs, lament, and praying, and hearing from different people. Um, we're asking that you'd fast that day um, from the morning all the way until we gather, and then afterwards you can get some food and so forth. And just be praying for, ultimately, um, as the, the, the presence of the Lord um, in some of the brokenness, which we're going to talk about here in just a second. And so... Um, that's, that's all I have for announcements. I mean, if you're, if you're like me, you're, you've read a bunch of stuff, you've seen this stuff on TV, and you've realized just the, just the tragic like, things that have happened in our country, and I, I do want to address those things this morning, but I do feel like that we as a church and we as, we as a country, like, we just need a little bit of, of something. I'm going to try to do this real here, real quick. Join, it, join with me if you, if you so feel led. Let's see here. You guys let me do that. All right. I appreciate you. <sighs> Thank you for coming out. <laughs> you could be anywhere in the world. Um, all right. So we're going to start the sermon here. Let me give you guys just kind of an overview of where we're going. We're going to spend um, a, um, a, a shorter time in the message, God willingly, um, looking at Psalm 42. There's six things that we're going to walk through that we learn from the psalmist in this psalm of lament which for me, it works out that today's topic just happens to be a song of lament that we can enter into. And primarily looking at these six things to help us engage the things that are happening in our world and also the things in the turmoil that's happening in our own souls and our own hearts. And so we'll, we'll look at that. And the purpose of having a shorter sermon, God willingly, 
um, is that we're going to spend some time in prayer afterwards before we go to the Lord in communion and worship him through song. So before we jump in the message, would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? God, we, um, we need you. We need your presence. God, um, there's a lot of emotions, Lord, uh, that are all over the place in this room, in my heart, in this world. And God, we need, we need the concrete love of God, the presence of God. Um, we need to worship together to be the people you've called us to be. And so we ask for your help. We ask for your guidance. God, I ask that you would anoint my words, you would anoint this time, that we may see and behold the beauty of God in the face of Jesus. God, I ask that we would truly, those of us in this room who hold out the faith that we have in Christ, that you would, you would call us to believing in you. You would call us to being people who repent the way that you call us to repent. To understand the other, Lord, even if they are politically, socially, racially different. God, that we may find our oneness and our uniqueness and our value and our meeting ultimately in you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So the first time I can recall being scared as a kid, um, I was probably seven or eight years old. And not scared like scared of the dark, but like scared of like what's happening in this world, right? And so um, some of you guys, I was thinking about this, a lot of you guys were born like in the 90s. So some of you weren't born, which is weird. But uh, so this might be a history lesson for you. Um, so in the early 90s, 90, 91, we had the Gulf War. And the Gulf War um, scared me because you did watch the news and you would, you know, see these bombs going off and whatnot. And I was like massively into sports then. I'm not anymore, but... but uh, <laughs> And, and I used to always think, you know, you think sports, there's always a away game and a home game. And in my mind, I was thinking, all right, so they have the home game right now. We're, like, over there fighting. Like, are they going to come here to, like, are they going to, you know, it's like, we got to get a home game. Are we ready for this? And just freaked me out just thinking of it. Um, right after that, uh, there was a guy by the name of, of Rodney, Rodney King. Yeah, Rodney King. And Rodney King uh, was an African-American man that got pulled over by these cops. And this is like back in the day when people did not have cell phones to videotape everything. So if something was caught on camera, like you had to have like a camcorder. Like somehow you like had a camcorder, right? And you better not move because those things are jumpy all over the place, right? And so someone had a camcorder and they watched Rodney King just get absolutely beat by these four cops. Um, who, by the way, were not all white. Um, and, and so that just kind of brought up just like just emotionally, racially charged stuff. Well, then these four guys went to court, and when they went to court, after all this time, um, the jury could not reach a verdict, and so the, all four were acquitted. In L.A., where I was living at the time, erupted, like erupted. And we had what was known as the L.A. riots. I mean, and people were burning down places, burning down stores, burning down the city, looting, stealing stuff. I mean, it was out of control. So we had, my family and I, we were living in the inner city and just moved out to a suburb just minutes outside of L.A. And and we could not go to the church that we were attending because it was on Martin Luther King Boulevard. And, and, and one comedian said it best, there's, there's no city you've ever been to that the worst street in the city is not Martin Luther King Boulevard, Virginia. I don't know why that is, but um, our church was there, and that's where, like, that was like the epicenter of all of this madness. I remember watching it on TV. And so as a kid, I'm trying to make sense of it, like legitimately trying to make sense out of the stuff you just see on the news. And, you know, I don't know why, but, like, my parents never set me down and said, okay, here's what's going on. So I just took what I heard. So in school, um, our school, the school that I was going to um, in third grade was a um, pretty diverse school in the area we're at. And then they decided that they had built this new school in the hills where all the rich kids lived, and they wanted to make sure that there was economic diversity there. And so they start busing all of the apartment complexes to this school. 
right? Which to me, I hate it because all of a sudden, like, you were with people that had houses, people that lived in apartments. It was, like, no big deal. But all of a sudden, we were, like, in the hills where everybody had everything, right? Early 90s, two-story house, basketball court, pool, dog, astro van, like, the, the deal, right? So, so we go to this school, and in this school, I'm one of two black kids in this, in this class. And when you're one of two black kids in the class, you know you're one of two black kids in the class, right? And my teacher, Ms. Collins, she was actually an incredible teacher, but she could not, let, like, hold her emotions in. So she kind of just leaked on all these eight- and nine-year-olds of her thoughts of what was happening about, about the riots. She goes, these thugs, these gangbangers, these people, they're ruining our city. My, my husband's company's down there. And she's just going on. And I couldn't help but hear black and thug as being synonymous coming out of her mouth. And that bothered me. But then... Because I'm going, I know black people that are not looting. I know black people that are not, you know, rioting and so forth. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't get this. Like, nobody's saying this in my house. So then I go home, and I'm at home, and all I'm hearing is, you know, the black man has no plight in this world. Like, white people are against us. And I'm going, well, I know white people that are not actually against me. In fact, one shared a sandwich with me today at school. It was actually pretty cool, right? And... <laughs> And there's just this tension, and no, everyone's talking around it, but no one's really addressing the issues. And then, so the riots are going on, and then there's this guy, Reginald Denny, who's a white guy minding his own business, begins to drive. Um, he's driving to take this uh, seven tons of sand to the place he's supposed to drive to. He's doing his job. Well, doesn't have the radio on, doesn't realize the riots are happening in this little detour that he normally takes. And he gets there, and it's like all oh, these people, they realize he's white. And just for being white in that place at that time, these four men pulled him out of the car and beat him to the point where he died, right? Scary. As scary as a kid. Now, you fast forward a few decades, and the same thing's happening. Like, you have people who are, are like, acts of violence in our country, and you go, this is horrible, and you mourn for this, and then you turn on the news, and then it happens again. You're like, this is horrible, then you mourn for it, and then you go, wait a minute, you're going to tell me that the way you're going to respond to this now is just taking the innocent lives of a cop? Are you kidding me? Like, no one's safe, right? And you, 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 just for being a cop. Okay, so you see all these things, and then for me, I'm trying to make sense out of it. I'm like, I'm talking to my kids about this, right? So I tell my wife, listen, I'm talking to the boys about all of this, and she goes, all right, what are you going to say? And I was like, I, I don't know. How do we really explain this to a seven- and five-year-old? Here's why. Kids are not dumb, and other parents talk to their kids, and they get to school, and they're going to talk to my kids. So I'm getting my kids ready for summer school, a.k.a. daycare. Don't judge me. They go to daycare. And so it's summer school in Richmond. And so um, <laughs> I was like, you're not going to be swimming all day. You're going to be going to uh, summer school <laughs> where you can swim all day, ironically. <laughs> so so I'm, we're eating cereal, and I'm, I'm trying to explain to them, okay, hey, there was this guy in Louisiana, and there was this guy in Minnesota, and, you know, they were, they were killed, and, and we got to pray for their families. And I'm telling them, like, listen, cops are not bad. And I said, there's people, there's, there's people who do dumb stuff, and there's people who do good stuff, right? And then I tell them about the thing that's in Dallas. And I'm, trying, I'm really just trying to have this conversation with them. And my oldest one, um, who's already pretty timid to begin with, I could just tell he's just, like, look, he's just looking at me at that look like, oh, I thought we were just going to have cereal this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see this one coming. Um, and I said, hey, buddy, are you, would you wish I wouldn't have told you that? And, and he goes, kind of. And I said, why? And then before he can even answer, my five-year-old goes, because it's scary, Dad. 
All right. And in that moment, I thought, I'd love to say, oh, there's no need to be scared. But I'd be lying. Like, it's justified. I, I don't think something's going to happen to my family today. I don't think something's going to happen to me today. I pray to God that something would happen to you today. But you can't help but look and go, man, is our country, like, on the cuffs of just falling over? And then you can't do anything just about the culture completely. But then you go, okay, what about the people of God? And then I go to, to social media, and, and you know how awesome that is. And then you're, you're, you're seeing people who, quote, unquote, love Jesus, people in our church, people in other churches, that are just throwing bombs at whatever side. It's like, you know, somebody puts a Black Lives Matter, and immediately it's All Lives Matter. And they're like, don't you get it? It's like, listen, listen, let me just tell you something, honestly, real quick. Yes, All Lives Matter. They matter to God. I don't think people who are saying black lives matter or blue lives matter, which is matter for the cops, or whatever the lives that matter, are not saying it's one over against the other. It's just going, as Christians, know what we need to do? Shut the heck up in the name of Jesus. Just, just listen. Like, just be able to listen. I don't think you guys have ever clapped for anything else I've ever done. <laughs> I prayed the piano for the first time in my life today. But there's, a, there's, there, there, there's just that reality of going like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, listen, like, we, we, we have to be able to, to listen. So I just, I literally deleted all of my social media, uh, and, and, and I'll probably back on it next year. But for, for now, it's, it's done. And, and, and part of it is my heart can't take it. I can't see people I love throw bombs at people I love. Right? I feel bad for police officers right now. It's hard being an African-American male right now. I, I don't know any of these people um, by, only by name, and yet there's a visceral response and thought of like, dang. But at the same time, I, I don't think that white people have to walk around now feeling guilty and so forth. I mean, I, I, it's either the response of going, I'm just going to ignore it, or it's like me in the grocery Hey, man, hey, do you need help with anything? Can I, anything you need? And it's like, sure, man, I need a car. <laughs> The reality of it is, um, as the church, we should be able to, to be a symbol and a model of what it means to be one when the rest of our country is basically divided. Um, yet, I don't really know if that's the case. I don't know if that's really being the case. I mean, it's easy to sit in rows, but until we can sit in circles and have dialogue and listen to one another, we really can't really go anywhere. So Martin Luther King Jr. said this. Men often hate each other because they fear each other. And they fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they cannot communicate, and they cannot communicate because they're separated. <laughs> he also said the most segregated hour in our country is 11 a.m. on Sundays. And what he's talking about is what we're doing now, this gathering. And sadly, decades later, it's still the most segregated hour. I'm not, I'm not one that genuinely believes that every single church needs to be ethnically diverse. I think ours should because it's the community that we're in. And when you have the opportunity of not just ethnic diversity but social economic diversity, that when you have, it, it's, it's a lot easier to understand the plight of a policeman or a policewoman when you know one and you can talk to one and you're friends with one. It's a lot easier to understand the, 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 the black community when you know black people. 
Um, it's a lot easier to understand those who are under-resourced when you are in community and friendship and relationship with those who are under-resourced. And so when you, when you gather together, ultimately around the person and work of Jesus, you may not agree, but ultimately you begin to understand the other. That's politically that, if you're, that you begin to understand that there are people on different sides and people who are indifferent and so forth, that you can actually have community to go, I'm, I, I might disagree with you, but I'm not going to kill you. And I'm not going to have hatred towards you. And I, I think the place that that matters the most, that it could be expressed the most, is not necessarily in our sports leagues, not necessarily in the place that we go grab drinks together, and not even in the coffee shop. But it has to be able to happen in the only community of people that, is given the change that's going to change the world, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's been able to see who God is. And, and that's, that's not a rant. That's, that's a calling. Um, and what God's called, it's not easy. It actually gets harder that way because you have to slow down and be able to listen to the other. And not just listen to the other, but ultimately all of us collectively centering our lives around who God is. The reason why I said this text for us today is fitting is because it's a song of lament. And lament is when there is brokenness, when there's calamity over sin, over destruction, over evil, and the people of God have wept. You know, when 9-11 hit, um, what, what they found is that many churches didn't have songs of lament because so much in our culture, we've just kind of pretend that everything was okay. And so the only songs we have were just happy, clappy songs. And it's like the church needs songs of lament. When we read through the scriptures, we have these songs of lament to go to and say, Lord, what do we do when there's turmoil in our hearts? And what do we do when there's turmoil in our country, and how do we seek the Lord? And so that's what we're going to look at. i got six things for us. We're going we're gonna to race through these six things, and then we're going to pray for these six things in our life. So if you're with me uh, in Psalm uh, 42, um, we're not going to go in just order. We're going to jump around here and with these six things to be able to see what the psalmist had for us. So let me give you a little bit of context. Um, it says that this psalm was written by uh, the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah were a group of priests that we, we read about in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And these men, they were lead singers. Like they were used to leading people in worship through song and, and so forth. And they, they, were, they were singers and they find themselves distant from God. And so this psalm in itself is instructive as well because when it says the masculine there, um, interpreters are not exactly sure what that means, but it either means to teach or to provide wisdom. So the Holy Spirit left this psalm here to, for us to be able to engage and know how to seek the presence of the Lord even when we feel distant, um, even when there's division, to be able to seek the presence of the Lord individually and communally. And so the few things we have here, if you could put those six things up there that we want to walk through is acknowledge one, when it comes to these moments, we got to acknowledge our distance from God, our thirst for God, bring our questions to God, sing to God, remember past acts of God, and then preach the work of God to ourselves. So let me pray, and then we're going to walk through those six things um, um, God willingly, quicker, quickly, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to pray together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your life and your love and your work. Bless this, this time. Um, bless your word and bless your name. In Christ's name, amen. First thing here is we have to acknowledge our distance from God. And, and so if you just read the few scriptures with me, first, uh, verse 3, he says this, My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Verse 7, the deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me like I'm getting washed over here. Go all the way, jump down to verse 10. He says, as with a deadly wound in my bone, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The first thing that we have to acknowledge is we are distant from God. 
there are seasons when we were distant from God. There are longer stretches in which we were distant from God, but we're distant. And I'm not just talking about men and women who are in this room who are not followers of Jesus Christ. Just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're near to the presence of God. And just because you read your Bible and just because you pray, just because you walked down an aisle and you signed a card and you gave your life to Jesus doesn't mean that you are constantly walking in the truth of the gospel and the presence of the Lord. Distance could happen and we can sense it. Now, here's the thing. We will say things like, God is far from me, when the reality of it is we are far from God. He shows up. Like, he's always there. He's always present. He's always ready. We aren't. So, so let, me, let me just deal with the bulk of us in this room who have found ourselves Christians. Many of us, we become so apathetic in our faith. We become so comfortable in our faith that, that we, we no longer seek the Lord. We no longer meditate on his word day and night. The, the things of Christianity of, of past, the things of reading your Bible and praying, we kind of like, ah, I've already done that. You can never do it enough. You can never do enough. Uh, other means in which we are distant is because of just ongoing persistent sin in our life. We become numb to it. We become numb to gossip. We become numb to always pointing the finger. Some of us are just, we just blame everybody. It's never our fault. And yet the gospel is, it's my fault, and I need Jesus to do something. <laughs> Somehow we just get away from that. Um, we become numb to our sin in a way that, and you guys should get this with this, this culture and context, is, is like a tattoo. Now, I may or may not have a tattoo. Um, and... The thing about a tattoo is I hated needles and I wanted to get a tattoo. So when I went to get this maybe or maybe not tattoo that I have is it starts off and it's like the needle, it hurts. It's like, oh, that hurts and I'm afraid of needles. About five minutes into it, you're chilling, right? And, and they finish the tattoo. And those of us in the room who've got a tattoo before, you know, as soon as it's done, what do you want? Another one. And another one. <laughs> Y'all ain't ready for that, right? So there's, there's, there's this sense of going, I'm in it. And I think that's what we do with sin. And if it's not, quote, unquote, big sin, we just kind of have this lull. And we wonder why we're distant from God. It's not because God is running away from us, but we are slowly, slowly drifting away from him. The psalmist is saying he's geographically distant. Like he's away. And he misses it. When we're distant from God, we throw our fist at God. He's like, man, I am weeping. I'm weeping because I desire God. My tears are my food. As a deadly womb, my enemies, whether they're real enemies or whether it's mental enemies, are saying, where is your God now? We can't help but culture look at our situation and think that people outside of the faith of community of Jesus are not going, okay, where's your God at now? Where's your God at in the world? Where's your God at in Minneapolis? Where's your God at in Dallas? Like, does our God lean into these things? And then personally, we have this, like, where is our God at? And so we got to acknowledge there's a distance, and a lot of the distance could be there because of my own actions of not pursuing God. The, the, the next one here is a thirst for God. Look at me in the verse two verses, one and two. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my, excuse me, as flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I love that. He's saying, when, when can I get back into his presence? You know what he's longing for? He's longing for what we're doing now, being in the context of believers, before the face of God and the presence of God. But he says, I'm thirsting. Right? In sports, uh, I like to say this a lot. There's, there's, you can't coach a few things. You can't coach height. Um, you can't coach 
speed, right? You can't coach those things like height, my kids, I'm just telling you, like, you guys are going to be short. It's, it's, your da- it's your mom's fault. It's your dad's fault. It's your granddaddy's fault. Blame them all, right? And you, you can't coach speed. Like, some kids just have it and, and they're blessed with it, right? You can't, you can't coach those things. And, and, when it, and don't ever pay anybody a ton of money to get your kid to be faster. If he or she is slow, they're slow, right? It is, give them a paintbrush. Like, sorry, right? It's our fault. It's our fault. Let's do something else. Let's roll with it, right? We got to roll with it, right? So that, that's just the way it is. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just like he gets some of this, we didn't get it, right? So the other one is appetite, that desire to want to do something, to want to be something. And I, I think when it, when it comes to us spiritually, there is this thirst and desire for God. Now, what the psalmist is talking about here is to be with God. I think when we think about thirst for God, we think about I need to receive God's forgiveness. Beautiful. Um, I need to know that I'm made right before God by Jesus. Beautiful. But more than that, what the psalm's saying, I want to just be with God. Not because of the things that he does for me, but him and himself. Like I want to delight in him. I desire to be with him. Not just for him to get my emotions the way that I want them to be, but just him and himself. Like I'm absent from him. Those of you who have good relationships or boyfriend or girlfriend, spouses, you know what it's like when you're away from them. Like you can't wait just to be back with them. Not what they can cook for you, not the things they can give you, right, that you just want to be with them. He said, I thirst for that. I ask a question, like how many of us are thirsting for the presence of God? Like just who he is, to be with him and to, to long for him. Because that's what he's talking about. And I, I, don't, I don't think he's, he, I think he's been intentional. He says, as a deer pants for water. Right? He's in the desert. Deers don't live in the desert. I think he intentionally says, it's foreign to me. As opposed to him saying, as a camel pants for water. A camel's like, I got this, man. Like, we're going to be here a while. Let's go. Right? A deer is like, no, 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 no. I'm thirsting for this. And he says, when we are away from the presence of the Lord, there should be a thirsting for who God is. There should be a longing to be satisfied in God alone. Amen? Amen. With the, the, he continues here, number three here is to bring your questions to God. This one's important. Look at verse 9, and he says this, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? I say to God, my rock. He understands who God is, and yet he understands his situation. He knows God is the rock, but he says he knows, but he knows he's shaken. And we have to be honest and bring our questions to God. Like God's God can take anything we can give him. I think we're afraid of our Christianity to ask questions. Don't be afraid of your Christianity because your Christianity will fail you at some point. Your God won't. Your God won't. Whatever questions you have that you can come to the scriptures with, to the Lord with, he, he may not give you the exact answers you want, but he gives you more than that because he always gives you himself. He always gives you himself. And there are questions that as Christians sometimes we find ourselves asking questions we know the answers to. And we ask the same questions over and over again because they're safe. And yet we have friends and we have people, even our own lives, we have questions that we want to ask, but we are afraid that what if I can't find the answer? What if I end up somewhere else? you got to ask the questions because you're going to end up somewhere else anyway. The amount of people that walk away from church, the amount of people that walk away from God, I think oftentimes is they never ever found a space to be able to ask these questions. And whatever questions they're having, whether they're questions of suffering or question of the reliability of the scripture or question of the existence and the deity of Christ and whatever the questions may be. The the psalmist is okay with saying, God, what's going on here? Can I bring anything to you? Because he's God, he can handle it. He can handle it. 
Number four here is sing to God. Though he's questioning and saying, why have you forgotten me? Like, where are you at, God? He's still able to praise God. Verse 8 here. He says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to God of my life. I love that. He says, his steadfast love he commands, meaning this covenantal love that God has for us. I'm distant from God. I don't know where he's at. I'm like a deer. I'm thirsty. I want to be satisfied in him. Um, My circumstances haven't changed. And yet, what does he still do? He sings. He sings. He goes, by night I have a song. And it's not my song. It's the Lord's song. I don't know where we pick this up that, like, we can only sing if we're emotionally accurate. Like, if my feelings are great and the song gets my feeling right, then, man, we can make it happen. If the words, man, if the words are right on point, then we can make it happen. If there's a certain worship leader, man, we can make it. If the preaching is on point, man, I can make it happen. Man, I, I hope this song makes me cry. Or What? Like, here's what worship is about and what it's always been about. It's always been about God. It will always be about God. If it's about anything else, it's no longer worshiping the God of the Bible or the God of this world. And as people, we, we know we're like this. We want the right preacher. We want the right song. We want it to fit our preference. We want it to be a certain way. And, and ultimately, God's going, what are you doing? Am I not good enough? The, I don't know who said this, but I read this, and it says um, this guy was been interviewed, and he, and he was a theologian. That means he knew the Bible really well. <laughs> and, and someone says, hey, you kind of go to this, like, rinky-dink church, and, uh, which, how do you even call a church a rinky-dink church? Anyways, and... Um, and why don't you go to another church that's more theologically profound and so forth? And he said, you know, the mature Christian is easily edified. I don't need it much. If they open up the scriptures and say who God is, that's good enough for me. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need something to wow me. <laughs> the psalmist is saying, I'm so far away from God right now, and yet all I can do and all I desire to do and what I know to do is to be able to sing out and pray to the Lord. Like, I just want to be satisfied in God alone. And we get to ask ourselves the question. Are we satisfied in God alone, in his word alone, in his spirit alone, in his son alone, in his love alone, or our experience of those things, or our experience with the type of people we want to be around of those things, or could we truly say, Lord, no matter what, I'm singing to you, and I'm singing to you not because I have a good voice, but because you've given me a song. Amen? Amen. Couple more, couple more right here, and we're going to pray. Um, remember the past acts of God. Man, this is massively important. Sometimes you don't see God at work. Sometimes I don't see God at work. I can look and I can look and I just say, you know what, Lord, I just don't see you at work. And what you need to do in those moments is remember the past acts of God. Um, Remembering is such a powerful thing. You see that word in the Bible over and over and over and over and over again. God wants us to remember. Look at me with verse 4. It says, the things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude of keeping festival. He's saying, I'm not with my people now. I'm not before you, God, now. Because at this moment, you got to realize in the Old Testament, there was a place of worship. And that place was in Jerusalem, and they weren't there yet. And he goes, I'm not there now. But if I look in the rearview of my life, God, I've seen that you've allowed me to lead the people in worship. And we've been able to praise. We've been able to party. We've been able to see how good you are. And I'm going to allow that to sustain me even this moment, even though I'm eating my own tears. And and then he goes forward here in the latter part of verse 6. And he says, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember that word again. I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount uh, Mizar. He goes, I remember you even though I'm distant, even though I can't see you at work. 
so, so this week, I had, like, just a, it was an interesting week. And um, you ever, you have these moments in your life where sometimes your past, your past sins, they creep up. And people will say things about you. And I was amongst a group of people, and it's like, oh, Ricardo, you were this, and you were that. And I'm talking, this is years ago, but for whatever reason, I wore it. And I was down. I mean, I was, like, depressed. Like, man, I can't believe you're right. Like, man, dang it. And I just, I mean, I couldn't sleep. And I had to literally begin to remember who I was before the Lord. Like, I had to remind myself, wait a minute, that's not me anymore. Like, at one point, that's, that's, that's how I became a Christian. Because at first what I was trying to do was like, no, I mean, so many years it's been, you know, so much time's gone by, you know, I haven't done, really? That doesn't matter. People are always going to have thoughts of you. And you know what? Sometimes your thoughts of yourself are all bad too. And that's why we have to rest in what God thinks of us. And we've got to look in the past and go, you know what? God showed up here in my marriage. He's going to show up now. He showed up here in my singleness. He's going to show up here now. He's shown up here in my finances. He's going to show up here now. He's shown up here when the world was in turmoil. You know what? He's going to show up again. It's his world, and he's the one that's going to redeem it. The last one here, and piggyback on that, is um, preach the work of God to yourselves. Sometimes you hear it says, preach the gospel to yourself. Guys, you got to talk out loud about who God is and what he's doing. So the psalmist is eating tears. The psalmist is asking God where he's at. He's remembering. He's singing. And read verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Verse, verse, uh, verse 11, same thing. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see what he's doing? He's speaking to himself. Soul, why do we feel this way? Why is it like that? Hoping God. Like, let me rest in salvation. Let me rest in the character of God. My salvation, my hope will not come from me doing anything. It will come from the act and the work of God. Like, like it matters to be able to speak out loud, right? And so there's, a, there's this guy, um, Martin Lloyd Jones Jr., and um, I thought Sally Lloyd Jones Jr., who wrote the Jesus Stobrick Bible, was his daughter. Just found out at this last service that's not his daughter. So I said it was last, but you know what? He's not, she stopped being his daughter in between the 9 and 11. All right, and so here's what he says in this piece, a really good book called Spiritual Depression. And he takes it on Psalm 42, and he says this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Right? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. So here I am. I'm going through it. Like, I'm just going. I, and again, and I don't know if you guys have ever been there. There's just moments where you're going, I don't sense the presence of the Lord. And you can get lost in your head. You can get lost. In fact, you can figure out to do anything in your head. And I had to audibly speak out loud. Like, speak out loud audibly the scripture, right? For I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That the old is gone, the new is here. 
That I just say things like Paul says in Philippians 3, I got to forget what lies behind and I got to strive toward what's before me and what has taken hold of me, namely Christ and his resurrection. What, what, what the psalmist is saying is as a people of God, we just don't look back to what God is doing. We preach the truth about God to ourselves and the people around us. Because sometimes our own emotions and our own thoughts, they're our worst enemy. <laughs> when I hear people say, I just can't forgive myself, I'm like, you may never be able to forgive yourself. But here's the good news. Even if you could, that's not where your redemption comes from. Your redemption comes from the one who was nailed to the cross, who says he takes your record of sin and your penalty of sin, and he nailed to the cross. And doing so, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, speaking of Satan himself. There's nothing he can have on you. All he can try to do is tempt you with the guilt of past sin. And Jesus says, what I've done with that, I've taken to the cross, and I've done away with it. That when he says that he wants to appear before the Father, when the, he wants to appear before God, when the psalmist says that he wants to see God, and what we know from the New Testament and from the gospel is the way that we see God is in the face of his son Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we see the fulfillment of all of what we want. When we see Jesus on the cross, we understand the distance, because what does he say? My God, why have you forsaken me? that he's experiencing the distance from the Father as he takes upon our sin, that when we see a thirst for God, he's literally thirsty in that moment. And he prays in John 17, Lord, I just want to go be back with you and restore me to the relationship that I had with you. When you see his questions, he's crying out, Lord, in the garden of Gethsemane, he's saying, take this cup away from me. Can you please, is there any other way? And then what does he say? Nevertheless, Lord, not what I will, but what you will. He submits himself to the Father. Jesus is the ultimate worship leader who points us to the praises of God through his cross and his resurrection. And ultimately, he understands his father. He understands why he was sent and what he was doing. And lastly, it's only when we preach Christ, the one who was truly innocently slain, truly innocently slain, whose whose blood cries out not for violence, whose blood does not cry out for hatred, whose blood does not cry out for disunity, and in fact, the opposite of oneness in the spirit of unity in the body, and hope that we find ultimately in his life and his death and his resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for it, your extended grace to us. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us in a moment of prayer. You would lead us, Lord, as you would usher in your grace. And God, we would trust ultimately not in our own works, in the hands of our works, but Lord, we would trust in you, God. God, help us to be honest about our situation, honest about our sin, honest about our need of you and honest about our world's need of you. God, help us to be people who listen, who understand what to do with our emotions and our questions to bring them before you and before your throne. Father, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to do something different right now, like I said before. Instead of just going into our normal ways of response, we're going to pray. And so if there's people next to you that you feel comfortable praying with, uh, you can hold on their hands. You can pray with them. If not, feel free to pray by yourself. Um, we understand this could be uncomfortable for some of us. That, that's all right. We, we're called to pray. And we're just going to pray through these things, short prayers, about 15 second prayers. We're going to pray through these six things. And so the first thing is here is just acknowledge our distance from God. If you could just pray that ultimately as the scripture says that we would draw near to the Lord and the Lord would draw near to us. Um, as a people, individually, that there would be a nearness to the, to the presence of God, and that in itself would be able to shape us. So just pray that we would be able to draw near to the Lord. And don't you take this time and, and pray now, and I'll come back and we'll pray through the, the next five.
Let's go to this next one. It's thirst for God. And make this less individual um, and more for our, just our country. That ultimately we're seeking for answers, but we're seeking answers in the wrong place. That there would be a revival of men and women who long for uh, the satisfaction that's found in Jesus. And so our prayer is that this world and ourselves, that we will be satisfied in the true living waters, and that is in Jesus Christ. This next one has everything to do with our doubts and to be able to be honest and exposed before God and others about our questions. And so would you make it a prayer that we would be a community that provides space for people to ask the hard questions of God? next one has everything to do with our worship and mainly through song that we'd be people that worship God because of who he is and what he has done and nothing else not our styles not our physical circumstances but we would worship God solely on the basis of him being our God next prayer is that we'd be able to see the many ways in which God has been faithful in our past, that he's been good in our past. And so we make it our prayer um, to ask God to help us to be a remembering community that remembers the acts of God in the past.
This last one has everything to do with us remembering and preaching to ourselves the good news of Jesus Christ. That it wouldn't just be rhetoric, it wouldn't just be intellectual, but we would, we would speak out loud the truth of what God says over us. That we were children, that we were sons, and we were daughters. Uh, that we were his and we were always his. We've always been his, even before we knew it. That um, to make it our prayer that the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, would center and anchor this church. And that we would never drift away from the love of God as seen through his son. So would you pray for that? Father, you hear our prayers. You draw near. Your scriptures tell us, Lord, of a beautiful story of you seeing the mess that we've made here and the mess we've made on top of messes and etc. And how your, your son Jesus has jumped in all the way in to rescue and redeem. That you have given us, Lord, your word and you've given us your spirit You've given us each other, and you've given us many other means of grace to know you and to live out your presence and to be your light into a broken world. Jesus, we echo your prayer that you would make us one, that we'd be one in the spirit, one in the same baptism, one in the same communion. God, that we would center our lives around the unchanging truths of the gospel. Lord, your word says weep with those who weep. And so, Lord, again, we weep with just the brokenness in this country and this world. Lord, the emotionally charged uh, racism, Lord. God, the misunderstanding of people not like us. God, we lay these all at your feet for you are the king and you reign. And we ask that you would draw near. God, that we would understand what it means to be satisfied in you, Lord, in the midst of turmoil. What it means to worship you, Lord, when things are not always that good. God, we ask that you would lead us and you would guide us in Christ's name. Amen.